0: The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, center, and source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. Hi, everybody. It's so great to be with you tonight, to be able to share this tool that God has given to me. Lord God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we, as women, get to explore your word. Father, we thank you for your word and how limitless. (laughs) I mean, we can never get everything from it that you want us to. I pray for the women that um, tonight that are going, oh, this is too overwhelming. Would you just breathe your Holy Spirit into them and just let them relax and enjoy it? I thank you that it is being recorded so the women can go back and rewatch it. They don't have to get everything the first time. And I want to thank you so much for the way that your word continues to speak to us through your Holy Spirit. That is the same Holy Spirit that breathed the words into uh, men's that, that wrote this down. And Lord, we just can never thank you enough. And we pray that for the spirit. I think tonight I want to just pray for the spirit of wisdom to come that can only come from you. I want to say, Lord, that um, I just am totally leaning on you tonight. I think that's always important for me to pray that because it's not about me. I want it to be all about you. You speak to these women, God, um, and, and your word does that. So thank you. Thank you for the privilege that we have of this tonight. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So, just a really quick background about 35 years ago, I was in Bible study fellowship, and uh, I would sit in the pew and I would think that teacher leader, teaching leader, she just, she's been in my home this week. She knows exactly what I'm dealing with. And of course, that's the power of God's word because she was taught the same tools that I was later taught. When I was asked into leadership, I didn't know I was going to have to do homiletics every single week, just as a discussion leader. And a full disclaimer, I didn't enjoy it at all. I was afraid that I didn't have the right answers. And I didn't realize it wasn't about having the right answers. It was about allowing God's word to speak into me and dividing it correctly. So um, I just want you to all take a big, deep breath and just relax and enjoy this because this really is going to be a Bible study, even though we're learning a tool, you will find that this is truly a Bible study tonight. So so this is homiletics. Now we're going to go back to um, why homiletics is so important. Why do homiletics? And I'm just going to quickly share this with you. I know that you will get to know God and his word better through this process. You will get to know his truth and his promises. You will love, I guarantee you will love him even more and trust him more in every day. And you will be able to follow him better because you can be obedient when you know his word. And it allows his Holy Spirit to speak into us in critical times as his word does. And then I think the best part is we can become more like him. And to this morning we were praying, Uh, I was praying with some of the the Titus women and uh, Beth in her prayer and Cricket in her prayer said two things that I wanted to kind of put on a post-it on this. So it's going to help us correctly divide the word. That's what Beth said. And then Cricket later said, you know, there's something special about hearing the word of God from someone else, but it's 10 times 10,000 times greater when you hear God speak it into you yourself and it's so true when God speaks his word into me or he speaks to me as I'm studying and reading his word it just resonates and it stays with me so last week your homework was uh, not homiletics it was a a thing called inductive bible study some of you might have taken a k Arthur course years ago This is my favorite part. This is not homiletics, by the way. This is inductive or it was called precepts at one time. But it's, I call it highlighting the word. So I'm going to go over your homework because it's going to actually be a great tool for us to do uh, homiletics. So here we go. As you know, you had the first 20 verses on one page and then 21 through 30 on the next page. The first day you were to... Mark all the red for Jesus, Messiah, Christ, or any pronoun that reference Jesus. Um, God got the word a color purple and Holy Spirit is gold. These are colors that you don't have to use, but these are the colors I always use. Jesus because of the blood. I use, always use red. God is the supreme. He's sovereign. So he gets purple and Holy Spirit, the glory. So I, I just use Uh, gold for that and so if you were um like me you went through and um you might have did it with highlighters you might have done it with colored pencils uh, you could have done it like I did on my computer and changed the colors of the fonts so from marking the red words here's what I observed I look back at it and I go what do I see I see that Jesus is almost in every single verse. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one. He is the I am that's in verse 26. And then I noticed from marking the yellow words, I observed the Holy Spirit is in connection to God and Jesus. And of course we know that because it's the Holy Trinity. And uh, I love just seeing that it's that in this heart of scripture Jesus God and the Holy Spirit is woven through all of these verses the next day I asked you to do everything that referred to the Samaritan woman or pronouns her pronouns like her and um she mark it pink so here we see that um she's not really in the beginning is she she's not in verses one through six and then we see her. Oh my goodness, she's she's throughout this chapter. What I observed from marking the words pink, and and I want you to know that you don't have to worry, look at your paper and go, oh, did I get that one? And if you didn't do the homework, I just want you to see what we've done. Just enjoy it. The pink words, I I observed that the Samaritan woman was not in verses one through six. And in verse 7, Jesus, from verse 7 on, we see that Jesus and the woman are interacting throughout all of this scripture to the end. I noticed that her name isn't there. And, of course, I knew that before, but that's something I would write down. We don't know her name. Uh, A lot of the other women that Jesus encounters, we know their name, but we, we don't know her name. Okay? Blue. When I asked you to mark the blue or anything that had to do, and of course, blue is the big color in, in Israel. So I did disciples, Jews, and anyone Jewish. So Jacob and Joseph got marked, and um, and then there's always this big blank kind of in the middle of, of the scripture from verses 5 through 18, or 16 through 18, I'm sorry. You look at 16 through 18 there's nothing about the Jewish people or the disciples or or anything that relating to Jews in verses 16 through 18 and then it in the is again at the end um, so what I notice from marking the blue words is that the disciples are in verses 1 2 eight and 27. And then I thought, what else can I get from this, from looking at just the blue blue markings? I noticed that Jacob and Joseph and Jews are mentioned. And it's mentioned in relation to the beginning of the verses, but it's also the woman brings up Jacob because of Jacob's well. And she calls them our ancestors. When we marked on the fourth day green, Now, this wasn't having to do with the Samaritan woman because up in number two, it said Samaritan woman. But if Samaria or the Samaritans or when she talked about the ancestors, you were to mark that in green. And again, it's very void in verses um, 13 through 16 or 17, 18 and it's there at the end. So, what I noticed, what I observed is race was not a part of the discussion with uh, when it came to her husband. Those those verses in the middle. Um and I I think that's just a lot a lot of these words were not part of didn't even come in when she was discussing her husband. Um see these verses that it's just red and pink until we get to the next day. Um, So the other thing is that my, here's, was an aha moment for me, even just this whole, this time when I did it, when I got to verse 28, do you see that? I always assumed that she ran back and told just her people. But I had my concordance, and that's okay to use. Don't use commentaries during this time, but you can use a concordance because you're really just looking up what the original word means. And I looked up that, and guess what it means? It's it's a Greek word meaning mankind. So she went back and told mankind. She didn't go back and just tell the Samaritan. She told everybody, and I love that. And that would also then... Refer to they and there because that's what that word, the people, refers to. The people, they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Yeah, that was mankind. Oh, and the next word is having anything to do with water and light blue. And I kind of ran out of colors, so <laughs> I had to go to light blue and we had dark blue already. So um, <clears throat> hope that wasn't hard for some of you who didn't have light blue. And let me just stop and say that if you don't like to do the coloring, you can, and then you don't want to mark color in your Bible or something, you can use little symbols. Um, You can use the cross for Jesus. You can use a triangle for the Holy Spirit. Water, you could just put little waves, you know, like a little wavy line going across. Um, I have found that marking red for Jesus is so great, even in the Old Testament, because when I looked at um remember when the ten tribe, oh there were twelve tribes and um the ten tribes were taken by the Syrians and the two tribes by the Babylonians and i then it starts talking about these two uh groups of people, the ten tribes of the Syrians and the two tribes, and uh I would do the bloodline always with red, and then I could tell with kings. Did they come through the bloodline or were they not in the bloodline? And it just helped my organization in the Old Testament even, or where I see Jesus in the Old Testament. So I'm marking the blue. And again, when it comes to mentioning her husband, there's no mention of water. Okay. So for marking the light blue, here's what I observed. There is baptism water, well water, living water, and there, there's the water jar. Living water was absent in the midst of discussing her husband and husbands. And then I noticed verse 28 is really important in my observation because that's when she left it. She left the water jar. I asked you to mark the husband in the brown color and worship circle it. And I'm really glad that it worked out that way. I mean, I didn't rethink this out and become very strategic. I This is this is just the way I was doing it myself. So, um, of course, the subject of husband and, and what she says and what Jesus says is just in those certain verses. But then look at worship, starting with verse 20. 20 through 24. Here's what I observed. Husband is only mentioned in verses 16 through 18. For marking the word worship, here's what I observed. Worship is mentioned in verses 20 to 24 only. It's mentioned 10 times. And ladies, in scripture, when a word is repeated, it's so important because they couldn't bold it, they couldn't italicize it, they couldn't put it in a different font, underline it. You know, if if a word was really important, it it's repeated in scripture. And look at what it says. I have to go backwards and erase all that. Okay, Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Oh, wish the world knew that. And yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so here's from marking the brown color. I did that and worship. And so obviously, if it's mentioned 10 times, I put worship as a very important word. All right. That concludes the highlighting. (laughs) Um, What I do is I do that before I do homiletics. That wasn't taught to me in BSF. I do it because it helps me do homiletics. So if you did it and you can put it aside for right now, and you're gonna use it in the next steps. I wanna to explain to you the five steps that we're gonna go through in doing homiletics. The brain, you know, I was a school teacher. I know that I know that the brain of learners like to know where they're going. So I'm gonna tell you where we're going and then it helps organize things. You know where to put information. So the first step in doing homiletics, well, actually, the first step is praying. <laughs> but then in when you're actually doing the homiletics, read the scripture and summarize the facts. That's all you're going to do. You're just going to summarize what those scriptures say. And then you're going to write it down, summarize it. And typically, you're going to have 10 or 20 of those Um statements those summarized facts then you're going to from that you're going to use, make three or four divisions this will all become clear then you're going to ha- make a subject sentence the challenge is to make it 10 words or less and here's what we had to do we had to make a sentence of where that scripture came from so that anyone who knows the bible would say oh i know where that comes from so if he said Jesus did a miracle and the people were amazed, well, hello, that, you know, you know, that could come from a lot of places. But it has to be very, very specific. And, and it has to be a complete sentence. So it has to have a verb. And then from that, you're going to do your aim. That's what you you decide. This is my aim when I give this scripture out. Um, this is what I want my audience to go away and do. So you're it's. We often referred to it as a cat, cause audience to. What do you want your audience to do after you give them the word and and they hear your teaching? It used to be that um, BSF just said, what, what um, action do you want the audience to do? Now they're saying they want to emphasize what heart change do you want to see in the women? Wow, that's powerful. What kind of change as far as heart change do you want your audience to go and, and and deal with? And then the last thing you do is the application questions. And you'll have at least one for each of number two, the divisions. And the first thing we're going to do is read scripture and summarize the facts. So, we're going to go through the scriptures and we're going to mark the verses and we're going to summarize them. And then we're going to go and do the four boxes. And it doesn't have to be four. It could be two. It could do be four. Then we're going to do the summary sentence. Remember that's what I said on the page before. Then we're going to do the aim. What do you want to cause your audience to do? And then we're going to do the application questions. Okay, now we're gonna do it. Here's the scripture I gave you, page one, page two, and I put it all on one page. So I have all 30 verses here marked for you. Um, Your markings may not be exactly like mine, and that's okay, but there they are. So now I just for the computer. I put the scripture on the right-hand side so we could read it and then we could do step one. So here we go with step one. And I started looking at the scripture and actually ladies, I've done John four many times, but this is what I did last uh, Friday night when I came home on the airplane and I thought, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it from new. Like I've never done it before. Here we go. Um, I looked at these verses and I thought now, If I'm going to divide this into 10, there's 30 verses. If I'm going to do them in 8 to 10 or so summary sentences of what this scripture is about, I think I'm going to do the first four verses. Now, if you were doing it and you go, no, I'm going to do the first six verses, that would be okay. I just happened to land on the first four verses, and I need to summarize that. Verse one says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had learned that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it is not it was not Jesus who baptized, his, but his disciples. So when he left Judea, he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. I'm going to stop right there. First four verses. How can I summarize that? And so I I thought about it and um, crossed things out and rearranged because I want it to be concise and yet truly summarize it. I'm just using the words from God's Bible to to do this. I'm not making up my own stuff. So I put disciples with disciples. Jesus left Judea to go to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. So that to me summarized it. Um, I didn't bring up the baptizing because that really deals with the chapter before as I looked at it. Even though it brings in water with the disciples, Jesus left Judea to go through Galilee and he had to go through Samaria. So then I looked and I go, okay, now what would be the next summary? I would do verses five and six. So I noticed that In verses five, he he went to a town, Samaria, and he went to the plot of ground. Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Joseph's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So I thought, okay, what could I say that would summarize that? And I put Jesus came to Shikar in Samaria near Jacob's land, given to son Joseph. Tired Jesus sits at Jacob's well at noon. Wow, that's a lot of words. What can I cut out to make it a little more condensed and yet keep the meaning? So I crossed out near Jacob's land, given to son Hmm. Joseph. And I came up with this Jesus came. To Shikar in Samaria, tired Jesus sits at Jacob's well at noon. I think it's important to say the time of day, and it was at Jacob's well, because that comes up again later. And it's important to say Samaria. Okay, next, uh, verses 7 through 9. And I'm going to go through this a little more quickly as, as we get down the road a little bit, because you're going to pick up the idea. 7 through 9, Um It says, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That was an understatement. Um, So verses seven through nine, I summarize, the Samaritan woman appears alone, I don't mean like she appears to be alone, but she she's showing up alone and Jesus asked her for water. She asked how Jesus, a Jew, can ask her for waters would be the rest of the sentence. But I'm just summarizing. So now verses 10 through 15. Okay, Well, here's what I put in. It's not necessarily the right answer. It's just how I answer it. Jesus explains living water. And I put in parentheses, willing up to eternal life. And she wants it so she won't get thirsty. And I put that because she kind of misses it, doesn't it? I mean, she's, she's thinking this is physically going to help her not have to go to the well to get water anymore. She's not going to be thirsty anymore. You're going to learn um, such a huge thing about the Samaritans and the Jews. They never shared anything. A, a, a Jewish person would never take a drink from her. In fact, uh, a rabbi rarely would be seen with a woman, and he wouldn't even talk to his own mother in in public. So for Jesus to do this is huge. And he's talking about living water. So uh, verses 16 through eight, Jesus tells woman she's been married five times. So I, I do reveal that, but, and, She's living with the man that's not her husband. 19. I left 19 all by itself because it's before we get into the whole focus on worship. Okay, now when it comes up to the word worship, 21 through 24. This afternoon, I was going through my PowerPoint, making sure everything was still in order, and I went, Well, I mean, I did that with most of these, but I thought I could have I could have worded this so much better. I could have been more exact, more strategic in how I placed my words. But you know, that's not what this is about. It's not about perfection, and that's really important to remember. So I'm just gonna. This is how I summarized it on that airplane. (laughs) I was waving the sky. Jesus says the place of worship is not important, but worshiping in spirit and truth is. The next one it is 25 and 26. Now you might be doing this and you'd go no I'm going to just do 25 through 90. That would be perfectly okay. Here's what I put. The woman knows the Messiah is coming. She does have that knowledge. She doesn't have all the knowledge, but she has she just knows a little bit. But when Jesus he declares that I am I am I am he. So that was a summary. And then for 27 through 30, the disciples come back. And I probably should have divided this out a little bit because the disciples return is one thing. What's really important is the woman leaves her water jar to go and tell others to come and see the one who knew all about her and ask, could he be, she asked, could he be the Messiah? That's very, very wordy. But it's okay. It's, this is, I'm the only one that's going to look at this typically. And I'm just summarizing. It's not perfection. So now I'm going to take away the, the scripture that we had done for our homework. And we've done number one. Now we're going to do number two. This is going to go pretty quickly. We need to come up with two to four divisions. If I'm going to give a message on this, a talk, a devotional, I'm going to want to divide it so that it's in bigger chunks so I can have divisions and I can say, this is what this is about. The next part with that, let me just give you an example. I did a devotion um, last Monday and it was on Abraham pleading for um, Sodom. And I took that chapter and the first part, I realized, oh, my goodness, this is about, this reveals Abraham's heart. First of all, he shows It's this is Genesis 18. He shows hospitality, and he he feeds the three men, and he he goes to a lot. He's revealing his heart. And then the next section was about when Sarah finds out she's 89 years old, and she finds out she's going to have a baby. And like you and I, you know, we were told that. We would, well, most of us, some of, there's some young ladies out there. (laughs) Uh, She laughed. And I think we could all understand why she did that. And so I realized that, okay, this part of the scripture reveals her heart. And then the last part reveals God's heart. As Abraham is pleading for the people, it revealed God's heart. I've done that scripture before. I haven't divided it before like that. That's what I did for last Monday. That's what we're going to do right now with this scripture. We're going to divide it and and look at how can I divide this? So I looked at verses 1 through 9, and it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. This is how I summarized 1 through 9 now. Meet Samaritan woman and ask her for water. There we go. Okay, not real difficult, doesn't include every single detail. It's It doesn't say that it's at noon, but it does give the major content. And then the second one, I did verses 10 through 19. This is including about her husband and the living water. So Jesus offers living water and asks about husbands, <laughs> and she realizes he's a prophet. Could you have divided it another way? Absolutely. I'm just showing you how I divided it. So you have an example. Verses 20 to 24. Jesus explains what true worship is. And then I did 25 through 30 because Jesus declares I am. And she leaves her jar to go and evangelize. And then I realized, well, I didn't bring in the word truth, so later I injected the word truth in that that fourth one. Okay, now, this comes a little bit of a challenge. It's, fu- it's a fun challenge. How could you summarize verses 1 through 30 in 10 words or less so that someone reading your summary sentence, they would know where it came from in the Bible? Now, this is an easy one. Uh, The bagats that might be a little more difficult, but how could you summarize this? And what I did was I took my four divisions and tried to incorporate the major concepts. At first, I came up with way too many words. Jesus meets Samaritan woman, offers living water, reveals sin. She believes and evangelizes. So I had to cross out some words and how can I summarize this better? So I put Jesus meets woman, offers living water, reveals husbands, she believes and evangelizes. And we used to say in, in BSF, if you use a little symbol for like the word and it doesn't count for a word. So I have 10 words now. Jesus offers woman living water, reveals husband, she believes, comma, evangelizes. From that, I just want to show you that we just did steps one, two, and three of homiletics. And do you realize that all we did was deal with God's word? Wasn't my ideas. It wasn't like, oh, I can talk about this. It was just God's word. We summarized it. We came up with divisions and we got a summary sentence. Once you know these steps, you're going to listen to some pastors and you're going to go, they're dividing the word. And here's the beauty of it. When you go through this process, the word speaks. Not me, not my ideas, not my experiences. This is where the living word God comes through. I often say, I'm just a waitress. I am just to serve God's word. And if I serve. uh, Cultural topics, if I want to, if I say, you know, I want to talk about race, I'm going to go to here. And and I know a lot of pastors and people do that. They go, they decide what the subject is, and then they go looking for scripture that's going to back up what they believe. This is. God's word being divided rightly. After this, then you're going to get your aim. The aim is what you want to cause your audience to do—a heart change. And so, um, I thought about over on the left-hand lower left-hand corner. I thought, well, we could be talking about truth. We could talk about worship. If I was, if I want to create an aim. Um, I could talk about truth. I could talk about worship. I could talk about her past. She's in the present, but what does she do in the future? She goes and tells others. I could divide it that way. I could talk about being filled with living water. Oh, this is such a good evangelistic um, uh, message. I could talk about conviction, leaving your jars and evangelism or leaving jars can represent leaving your sin behind because that's the way she filled herself. Uh, that represents, it's symbolic of her old life. So I thought, you know what? I'll just kind of try to incorporate as many of those in my aim as I can. And I want my women, if I'm going to speak to women, I want them to leave their jar behind, what that jar represents. Uh, To leave their jar behind from encountering Jesus and go evangelize truth that covered most of the words there except I didn't have the word worship so then I put that in there and I came up with leave I want to cause my audience a heart change to leave their jar behind from an encounter with Jesus to go worship and then evangelize in truth or in spirit and truth I could put too. Now comes the fun part. This is the application questions. And if you notice, I have up there not yes or no. So you don't want to ask a question where women, when you when you teach God's word, you don't want to just leave them with a question where they can go yes or no, because then they'll go yes, no, and they won't think about it. It won't let them really penetrate their heart. So you want to have questions that are not, Answered with a yes or a no. You want them to really think. You want them to apply it. That's why it's called application questions. And so from verses one through nine, Jesus had to go through Samaria, meet the Samaritan woman, and ask her for water. What could I ask that wouldn't be a yes or no question that would apply to their lives? And one of the things I thought of was when have you last had an encounter with Jesus? What did he speak to you about? Um, Jesus was, I might even in, put in there that Jesus was worn out when I'm talking about that. I, think, I know many of you are here tonight that are worn out. I'm probably speaking to all of you right now. Um, Jesus, I would probably talk about how Jesus understands what we go through. That he is a high priest, but he has encountered everything that we have. And and he was tired, and yet he ministered. I can't tell you how many times I have been on an airplane, absolutely exhausted from speaking. And um, yet Jesus wants me to talk to the person next to me. I have even begged Jesus to please let me sleep. And, And sometimes he does, and then he wakes me up just in time to talk to that person about the Lord um so there are all kinds of questions that you could take from the first nine verse verses when you are teaching scripture after you've done your research and and everything you want to ask questions you don't want to just give information give information give information so you might want to say um and i'm just thinking of this right now Let's see it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Is there someplace God is directing you to go? That is uh, off the beaten path. Is God calling you? And I'm asking you tonight, how is God calling you to be more um, taking advantage of, of encountering people who need to know Jesus? Okay. Section two. Jesus offers woman, I'm reading in the blue box. Jesus offers the woman living water. He asks, he asks about her husbands and she knows he's a prophet. Jesus spoke truth into her life. What truth is he speaking to you? So I might be talking about she's had five husbands and the man she's with. And, and I would probably point out that this is the way that she was trying to fill her life. What truth is Jesus speaking to you right now? Um, Where are you looking to be fulfilled? Is it through romance novels? Could it be through your thought life? Could it be friends that are inappropriate for you to hang out with? Could it be that Jesus is speaking truth to you tonight? What is he saying? Um, What are you thirsting for? How are you trying to quench that thirst in your life? Is it shopping? Is it activity? Is it your work? So those are the type of questions that you could ask. And um, that's application questions. Number three, Jesus explains what true worship is. I already asked you this one earlier. What kind of worshiper is Jesus looking for in you? This is more personalized. And then to get keep going, um, what jar, you know, if you talk about how the jar represented her old way of, of filling her life, what jar do you believe Jesus is asking you to leave tonight? Could it be bitterness, jealousy, competition? And then I would just go through. And it's amazing how I can create a list. And when I give this word, this this a message like this, God gives me the application more, just more applications to give to their life. Um, so now we've done, that's it. Steps one, two, three, four, five. Sounds like a lot. It really doesn't take that long. Step one probably takes the longest. Now I wanna show you that I am gonna go back just because if I'm going to develop this into, if this is a Bible study, I'm kind of done. And I, I'm going to ask Jesus to apply his word to my heart. Jesus, what what are you saying through verses one through nine to me? 10 through 19, section three, section four. But if I'm going to give a talk on this, I want a more, um, a better outline. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that right now. Jesus encounters the woman. And then this, I could reword it and say, Jesus speaks truth to the woman. Jesus explains worship and Jesus encounters, Jesus's encounter frees the woman. So here are other things that I could have done those four divisions. I could have said, woman meets Jesus, woman confesses to Jesus, woman is told about true worship. Woman leaves the jar to evangelize. But the reason I didn't pick that is because then the woman is the focus. And I want Jesus to be the focus. She's transformed. But the focus is really on Jesus. Here's a shorter way that I could even um, have my four divisions. Jesus encounter. Jesus is truth. Jesus is worship. Jesus is freedom. See these? four things right here, that becomes my outline when I speak. So I would show number one, and I would talk about the first nine verses. I have a summary. I know what it's about. I have the verses. I have the word of God. I always, I always take my Bible. I don't just take my notes. I always take my Bible. I want my Bible there. And I could talk through the nine verses. And then I would have more applications, but there's the one we came up with earlier. Those are just repeats of what we just talked about. And the whole time, I want my aim at the top of my paper. Because whatever I talk about needs to go to the aim. If I start talking about race relationships out of this, that is not... um, going to help my aim does not support that they need to leave their jar behind from encountering Jesus worship and go evangelize i love that that's a great aim and then i thought you know what i really wouldn't want to leave the title like that so here's what i how i changed my title face to face With Jesus. Now I have a message. Now. And only now. (laughs) You can. Go to commentaries. After you've done these five steps. That's when you go to commentaries. That's when. You can create your PowerPoint. And bring in wonderful visuals. That's when you can think of illustrations, opening and closing stories. If I started like, oh, I just had this great experience and I really want to bring that in. That's not making the word the focus. And that's our goal. It's God's word. That's what we serve. We're the waitresses. And um, it all starts with prayer. Have to pray. Pray. Always, before you do your homiletics, before you you do the highlighting, and then it's centered in God's word. I was asked to speak um, in North Carolina, and they said, oh, by the way, we're going to have this theme about shoes, and uh, can you just, if you can incorporate that, that would be great. I said, sure, I'm sure I can do that. And so I prayed and the Lord said, I want you to speak on the Samaritan woman at this particular event. One of the things I love <laughs> is that when she goes running off to tell her people, her arms are like flailing. It, it kind of reminds me of those of you who used who are old enough to remember Popeye. Remember how olive oil, her arms would were like wet noodles. And when she went running her arm, and that's the way this woman, when she runs to go tell the people And I realized when I was watching that and preparing for North Carolina, I wonder what kind of shoes she wore. So the Lord gave me this idea. I went to uh, Goodwill and found this super old sandal. (laughs) Thought, Well, that kind of maybe not the heel, but this kind of looks like maybe what something she would have worn. And I thought, oh, she went running. You know, it was worn. It's used. It's. Kind of grimy. But I think that when she was running back to them, she had her glory shoes on. (laughs) So good old um, Michaels and their spray gold paint. And I just, so you see, I can't say, oh, I'm going to do this shoe thing. And now what cop can I incorporate with that? I would have it completely backwards. So after you have God tell you what his word is about, then you can go to the commentaries and you can find out these wonderful things of what the words mean in the original, whether it's Greek or Hebrew. Then you can create the PowerPoint. You can bring in the visuals. You can think of the illustrations in the opening and closing stories. Oops. But I want to end with this, because this verse, if we would have continued reading, is at the end of John 4. This is so powerful. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So tonight, I would encourage you to have an encounter with Jesus. And if there's a jar that he wants you to leave behind, leave it behind tonight so that you can go and tell people what Jesus has done for you so that you can worship him in, in spirit and in truth. Why why uh, in spirit? Because Jesus is spirit. Why in truth? Because he is the way, the truth, and life. And when we allow his truth to invade our lives, then we can worship him in spirit and in truth. And I want to encourage you to do that. I was thinking tonight before um, this started, he told me everything I ever did. And he does know all about us, doesn't he? He knows everything that we have done, those things maybe that we've never shared with anybody, uh, places of shame. And yet, he freed her. She didn't have to to air out all the dirty laundry. She didn't go back. I mean, they probably already knew about her. She went back and she goes, just come see the one. She's pointing to Jesus. Come see the one that knows everything I've ever done. I have not even begun to tap the resources and the, the depth and the the nuggets that are in this scripture. There is so much here. Um, if you start digging and you read the chapter before or after, and you, you find out the context, here's one of the things that I learned. And, and I shared this actually when I taught um, about the Samaritan woman in a f- earlier Bible study for Titus. Nicodemus is in the chapter before. And the Samaritan woman is in this chapter, chapter four. He's in chapter three. He was a man. She was a woman. People looked up to him. People looked down on her. He had a great reputation, stellar. She had not a good reputation. Uh, He was educated. She was not educated. Uh, He was Jewish. She's a Samaritan. And you could go back and forth. I have a whole list of things, of the comparisons. But what's so amazing is that Nicodemus went looking for Jesus at night. Jesus goes looking for the Samaritan in the daytime. She She's not even on Jesus is not even on her radar screen. And, and she has a little bit of knowledge, but she really doesn't know about Jesus. She knows that, that the Messiah is coming. But what's so amazing to me is that um, Jesus goes and talks to this woman. And I, one of the things that really jumped out at me this time is that he approaches her. He talks about her sin. He doesn't allow the things that she throws up to block their conversation. I think what impressed me this week as I was looking at that is how Jesus didn't affirm her sin. And we have that going on in the churches today, don't we? Just affirm. He accepted her. Yes, we're to accept people who have sin in their life. That's what the church is for. And to to build the body of believers. But he accepted her. He did not affirm her. So I'm wondering, we go back to that verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. Do you see the freedom that she found because he told her truth. Jesus didn't go wagging his finger in front of her face. He loved her. And so I think this is a great tool for us also to use in how to evangelize, how to talk to other people about Jesus. So Let's pray. (laughs) Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this story. Thank you that you actually began your public ministry with this woman. And you told her everything she had ever done. And you loved her and accepted her. And that's what you've done with us. You continue. Would you please, Lord, you personalize all that we've gone through, all that we learned, all that was brought up. Would you personalize your message to each woman? Each woman that's listening right now, apply it to their heart, apply it to their lives. And then, Lord God, help us all to go and share who you are with other people. We thank you. We praise you. We give you all of the glory. 100% goes to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.